I'm Claire Porter, wife of North Star's general manager, Bear Paulson. North Star canoes are designed with stability and seaworthiness in mind. That makes them safe in rough water when the wind howls and white caps dance. Most canoeists try not to paddle in those conditions. But sometimes you need to cross a big lake, and when you're in the middle of brule or snowbank, it's not the time to wish you were paddling a safer canoe. North Stars are easy to paddle on glassy days and safe to paddle on rough ones. Rent a North Star at over 25 different BWCA outfitters or purchase a new one from over 15 retailers in the Midwest. North Star Canoes, helping you share wonder with your family and proud to support the BWCA in this Boundary Waters podcast on WTIP. Online at northstarcanoes.com. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue, come the northern light. Welcome to episode 79 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm Matthew Bexley. I'm Joe Frederick, standing out here on this frozen lake once again. Or finally, <laughs> however you want to look at it. It does feel like it's been a while, but considering the time of year, it's pretty great that we are out on a lake. It's not even December yet, and we're looking at six inches of ice. Yeah, and spots and some of the lakes still maybe not even froze yet. Depends where you are on Superior National Forest and the Boundary Waters. But uh, we're right on the edge of the BWCA right now. We are in the Boundary Waters the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, now we're just kind of, hey, check it out, blue sky over there. We're settling in, trying to get some pike, maybe some early ice walleye, basically whatever we can find. It's been pretty slow to start out the season. It's just nice to be out here, though. I couldn't be happier. You know, I think anybody who listens knows that I haven't touched a fishing rod or a tip-up today, <laughs> but I have been skating in all of the uh, skatable spots on this lake. We had early freeze for a lot of the smaller lakes and uh, some snow. But it's been really cool. There's the fissures that form on the lake, and then the water spills out. And so it's created these sort of skate lanes for me, which I've had a lot of fun doing uh, And in between checking in on the ice fishing. Yeah, we got tip-ups in, some slip bobbers down, Vexars rolling, and uh, actually even some spear fishing going on on the other side by an island over there that we're going to go check in with uh, our pal in just a few moments. But in the meantime, we brought friends with us we did right over here we got a new friend fellow i just met today should we let him introduce himself oh sure Hi, i'm juan martinez the uh, tribal liaison for the superior national forest 
And yeah. our new friend. <laughs> new friend. <laughs> right on. Yeah, good to be out here fishing with you, Juan. As I said, it's a, a little bit slow or quite slow, but we're we're marking some fish. You hooked into a little perch. I completely screwed one up on the slip bobber setup. Uh, but what's your thought about this early ice walleye pike fishing? It's been great. I've been waiting for ice to form uh, for couple of weeks already hoping it would come early so this has been good to be able to get out i was glad when you sent out the invitation i was like yeah that'd be good <laughs> I, I hadn't i don't think i'd ever fished this early on ice anywhere in my life so this is pretty good yeah we met you last year at wtip when you were uh, came on board for superior national forces the tribal liaison in 2021 i think you and i first crossed paths in october of that year down by the tofty ranger station and so you've been here for over a year now but uh, you did some ice fishing in new mexico where you grew up right that's correct yeah new mexico we uh, high mountain lake so they all get frozen over mostly trout fishing uh we used to do a little bit of pike fishing in colorado but not not to the to the degree that uh minnesotans do pike fishing so so i'm still learning but uh it's been fun and so i was happy to that the ice came on earlier than i considered normal because i put my boat up early so uh so we're good to be back fishing (laughs) so Juan, you just moved here a year and a half ago from new mexico and i'm curious how did the landscape and the presence of the wilderness area here impact your decision to move to northern Minnesota? Uh, you know, this is exactly what me and my wife were looking for. We wanted water and trees and places where we could go snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. She's learning to cross-country ski. Uh, we both were snowshoers in our previous worlds, you know, where, wherever we were. Nevada, we came from Nevada. and There wasn't snowshoeing up there unless you really got way up close to the Idaho border but um, this is everything we wanted uh, I mean the ice fishing especially I like I say I grew up ice fishing in New Mexico and hadn't done it for over 10 years while I was we were in Nevada uh, and there are lakes up there apparently that get frozen that people do but I just never had access to them and here there's so many it's it's great so it's almost like coming home but a whole new home for the both of you now Absolutely. Yes, this this is more than we expected. You know, neither of us had been to Minnesota. I'd been to upstate New York. That was my closest to the kind of the hardwoods, boreal type forest. Um, and I liked it when I was there. Uh, so when this opportunity came, it was like, yeah, let's go go over there. And, you know, we've set down roots. We bought a house. We've bought some property now, too, because we really love it, too. So um, we're just enjoying every every bit about it that we can. So, Juan, what can you tell us about, uh, as we said, you are the tribal liaison for Superior National Forest, how that work has been going for, for you and the agency and the bands uh, over the course of this past year? It's been going really good. Uh, when I started, I started under Connie Cummins, the forest supervisor. Uh, she has since retired. Uh, we have uh, Thomas Hall now as the new uh, forest soup. And, you know, he's eager to work with the bands. He wants to to engage with them. And, and he's we've done a lot of good things. Uh, we're, we've, we're working on an MOU that we started with Connie, uh, but it wasn't quite finished. And we're hoping to have this MOU uh, here any day actually probably we're looking at signing probably now in december january probably um 
and it's it's a great great thing it's a document that will show uh, anybody that comes behind any of us you know from the tribal perspective you know they have turnover at their councils and we have turnover for our staff and things like that but this document will say this is how we're going to do business from here on out and uh, it's a good good a good document it, it uh, it's really just embraces the co-stewardship uh, of the landscape with the bands and the forest service so um, just a lot of good things going on hmm. busy yeah okay would that be for uh, all of superior national forest but within that then is there language specific to the boundary waters canoe area wilderness in this is that a memorandum of understanding that you're talking about or an mou that's correct. It's an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, um, and it does not specifically say anything about the Boundary Waters because it is just the entire Superior National Forest and all the things that we're going to do uh, from special use permits to um, how we, you know, do timber sales and how we do uh, mining operations and things like that. And and mostly it's just a sharing of information, you know, they, they want to know what we're doing and they rightly do. It's the ceded territory. This was all uh, part of the the Treaty of 1854. So um, they have the right to to know what's going on. And so this just kind of outlines how that will take place. You just started getting into this a little bit, Juan, but can you share a little bit about why that collaboration is important, uh, either because of where we've come from or where we need to go in these important management relationships? I think the the important thing is that what what people don't realize is that the the Treaty of 1854 um, it doesn't give the band rights. The band already had those rights. What it does is it it solidifies them and and just says, okay, because of the rights that you have during this from this treaty we're going to continue to do this or, or start to do this work. And, and the superior has just been great and, and was already way ahead of its time um, in, in doing things with the bands. But, you know, we were still growing. And so when they added my position, that really bumped it forward. But it, it's been great, you know, and, and the, like I say, they, they, the rights were theirs before we got here. And so this just helps uh, folks that come through understand what that means and how it just outlines how we're going to work with them and share information and, and gather their information because a lot of they have a lot of knowledge of a lot of the things that, that are going on in the landscape especially now during climate change uh, if you talk to a lot of the elders they they can tell you a lot of different reasons why things are happening and sometimes we don't always think of them at that way but if you take the time and listen and think things start to make connections and it's like okay that makes sense and so um, they're gonna start to to give us um, what are called tribal objectives and we're gonna use those to kind of balance our uh, forest plan with that cultural knowledge and going through all the different things that we work on so it's a it's a really neat neat process and you know and we we're doing it with them they're telling us how they want to see things done and we're telling them what laws and regulations we have to work with and and then we're finding the middle ground because that's what it that's what it takes is finding that middle ground yeah that's i mean it sounds like amazing work and, and you were sharing with me earlier uh that the there's a, a real 
shared appreciation it sounds like between the work you're doing the work you do at the forest service and the bands around the protection that you're in a, a strong agreement around the importance of that protection but the way that that looks between recreation for some of us and recreation for some band members, the approach is a little different and the values are a little different. Yeah, that's correct. Like we were talking earlier, the, you know, they, they understand the, the protection part of, of how we are managing the boundary waters. Um, but um, the rationale behind it or the reasoning is a little different from the forest service perspective as opposed to a cultural perspective so um, protection is good because they're always talking about seven generations they they're they're looking to protect things for seven generations to come or or improve things for seven generations and so when something gets protected from a western law perspective they see that as a good thing but then there's always these caveats to those protections that sometimes hinder their use of that particular piece of property so for the boundary waters for instance they don't recreate in the boundary waters the way western civilization recreates in the boundary waters they they see it as a place for for spiritual things and for going out and gathering and hunting and and uh, netting and and so their their views are just a little bit different from the western world and that's something that we really need to take into account when we're making these decisions because we think we're doing a good thing and and we are now, i'm not saying that the things that the forest service have done is is bad but what it just doesn't always meet up with their cultural needs and so there's sometimes some struggle there you know i hear that there are differences that are super important to work through and it sounds like they're also thinking about a lot of the people that listen to the podcast that the boundary wars is a very spiritual place and there may be some different ways of thinking about that spirituality or experiencing it but that there is a lot of probably room for a shared agreement of the significance of this land and water from uh, some sort of deeper perspective that we all sort of uh, many of us at least experience do you I mean does that align with your experience of the place or how do you see that as similar or different that's a good question you know because I, I do I know there's there's definitely a difference in the way the forest service sees the, the boundary waters and the while the tribes see the boundary waters and so um, I think there's needs to be a lot of discussion and a lot of listening between from both sides. You know, they they, I I think they don't understand why uh, the Forest Service imp imposes these restrictions on things. Um, you know, like the motorized use and and things like that. Because for them, you know, that's a tool that they use. And and it's like we were talking earlier. You know, for them to go into the boundary waters is sometimes it's a means to an end you know if, if they want to go get a moose you know there's lots of moose more moose in the boundary waters probably than anywhere else um but now they can't take an atv or a utv or a truck or whatever to help them get that moose out i mean it's a thousand pound critter and so they're it's it's it puts restriction not restrictions but hindrances on them that make their cultural 
taking of that animal difficult. And so, you know, but we also need to understand, and, and they, they need to understand too. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is through all these discussions is help people understand the, diff, the two sides, the two viewpoints, because there are people out there that, you know, don't want to hear a motor, you know, and they don't want to, you know, see somebody drive across the lake on their snowmobile after a moose or whatever it is. And, and so, you know, there's got to be some give and take on both sides. So it's, 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 uh, it's a relationship, you know, that we're building and, and uh, I hope we're, we're doing good. I, I'm doing my best to, to try to, to keep things moving in a positive direction. And so far things have been going really good and I, I hope they continue. How about uh, Juan, when we look at special use permits on the outside of the wilderness and, and that that I know has been a, a source of concern for some of the bands of Grand Portage closest to WTIP, so the one uh, I'm most familiar with about just the continued parceling of, of sections of land through special use permits, maybe a commercial maple syrup operation or a ski hill expansion, whatever the, the case might be, that that is a concern. And I've heard then in reference to on top of the land that is the boundary waters, uh, that that seems to be an element where hopefully you can provide, as you're saying, communication between the Forest Service and the bands. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that they the, the bands... Uh, are constantly not constantly but one of the things that they bring up quite a bit is is you know death by a thousand cuts you know we we issue special use permits you know for a quarter mile here a half a mile there and in the special use permit um, it doesn't necessarily restrict use you know so like for a road say somebody needs access to a one of their pieces is a private, you know, and so they need to put a, a road across federal lands. We issue permits for that. You know, we go through the analysis. We make sure that that it's not going to impact, uh, you know, the the environment or uh, um, or wildlife or uh, water resources or anything like that. We go through a whole gamut of 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 looking to make sure that what they requested is going to be okay. And, um, but then they put in a road, you know, we say, okay, you, you, it looks good. It's a dry, you know, you can put in a road to get to your, your piece of private property and they put in a road and because they built it, they, uh, legally can restrict the use of it because they've spent money to, to put in this improvement. And if somebody comes down the road in, in a, ATV or UTV or a four-wheel drive and slides off the road and, you know, does all this damage, they're responsible to fix it. So a lot of times they'll put a gate or they'll put a, you know, no, no trespassing, even though it's federal land, they put a no trespassing sign. And so for most people, that means don't go. And for the tribes, that means they see that too. And they're like, that just means that even though it's only a quarter mile, that means I can't walk down that road. Even though the law says they can, you know, there's a lot of, of misunderstanding of how these permits are 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 run and how they're um, enforced and things like that so for every one of those that goes in they they feel that that's a piece that they don't have access to and so um, 
just going through having that dialogue and explaining that no yeah you can still walk down that road just like if it was a trail you can still walk it and just because it's improved now does and you could drive a road a truck or a vehicle uh, you need to look at it as in a little bit different and not see it as as closed off but but there are is that mentality that it's closed off now because it belongs to somebody else and so it's just just understanding where they come from and where we come from and so for them access is a big a big issue because uh, their elders have trouble getting out to places their youth have trouble getting out to places and so if if we can't provide access to things that they want to teach their seven generations then we haven't done a good part of our co-stewardship so that's part of the things that we're we're trying to improve on absolutely i i'm curious juan for you personally so forest service aside what draws you to be out here is it uh, purely recreational? Is it part of your family heritage? Is it spiritual in any way? What makes you like to be out on the land and water? For me, growing up in northern New Mexico with my heritage, you know, I'm uh, Hispanic and, and I we do have family with the Pueblos and uh, things there in, in northern New Mexico. Uh, for us growing up, it was not so much recreation you know it was more of a you know let's go get some fish for dinner and so that was always a big thing for us and so when we used to go we would uh, like I would say it wasn't just one of us going it was me my dad and uncles and cousins and we would go and you know we were trying to get fish for the families to eat and you know and we weren't so poor that if we didn't catch anything we were going to starve but that was the goal you know it was to to get uh fish to eat and even now for me me and my family we love to eat the fish so i'm not a uh you know i i do throw the little ones back because i don't i want them to get bigger but but i'm not after trophy fish or anything for the wall like that so for me it's 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 more of a a means to an end like you know get some meat in in the in the freezer you know and, and and it goes the same for me for for big game you know i'm a deer hunter and i hunted elk and and deer in new mexico as well and it was always to put meat in the freezer you know i, I like a set of antlers just like anybody but if if i can get a draw doe tag or or a cow elk tag i would gladly take one of those and and put meat in the freezer um so you know, uh, being in Minnesota, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, I do a lot of grouse hunting, and uh, I I was lucky enough to kill a turkey this spring. You know, which which was awesome. You know, that's one thing that I don't necessarily do just for the meat. That is just a total rush for me is hunting turkeys. But uh, here, being able to hunt, you know, all I can hunt archery, I can hunt rifle, I can hunt muzzleloader, and and if that puts meat in my freezer. I'm I'm all for it and haven't been successful this year but I'm still trying and I'll still keep trying you know until until the season is over and then I'll do it again next year so it's uh it's I guess part of it is spiritual but it's not so much for me it's more this coming out with friends you know I I don't really enjoy coming out by myself um, I like bringing my son. He loves to ice fish. Um, and so it's fun with him. And, uh, and my wife doesn't ice fish, but she likes to uh, fish in the summertime. But uh, 
yeah, so for me, it's, you know, coming out and hanging out with friends and, and learning about different things, learning about different experiences and sharing stuff. So, you know. So, uh, in other words, what I just heard, Juan, is that uh, since I chose this lake and uh, we haven't caught anything yet, if we don't, you're going to be <laughs> upset with me and uh, probably never speak to me again. No, not, <laughs> no, no. In fact, I was thinking next time maybe I'll bring my disco and I'll bring some uh, some food and then that way it'll keep us kind of going. So, <laughs> <laughs> Because right that was something that we always did with, with my family that I've kind of lost touch with being gone from new mexico for so long as you know there was always food and 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 beverage to be shared with whoever was around and so um and maybe that's why i didn't catch you were not catching fish because i didn't bring anything to to share with everybody so if you're saying that you bringing food means we'll catch more fish then you're invited back (laughs) bring your food we'll catch some fish we'll do we'll do well, thanks for being out here today, Juan. We got a little bit more time left too, so we gotta go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go check out the spearing over there, that's and uh, that's we'll, something I've never done either. So that's a whole new experience. I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, on the other side of the lake, we have stepped into a ice house and are peering down into a vast hole that this man has carved into the ice and has been sitting and staring. What is this madness, you might add, and who would engage in it? Hi, I'm Dean Perrone, and um, we're doing a little ice spearing today. So I'm sitting over a little hole I cut in the ice, hoping a a nice-sized northern pike will swim by and give me an opportunity to uh, take it with this spear here I'm holding. So it's an old tradition that's been around thousands of years, um, both in North America and Scandinavia and Russia and all over. Um, it's, a, it's a real fun sport. I liken it kind of to uh, deer hunting or bull hunting. You kind of just sit and stare for a long time, and before you know it, there's something in front of you, and you get ready, and you try to take your shot and make a kill. I could see the appeal in this because if a fish were to swim out right now, this is a hole in the ice about the size of a large flat screen TV. And if suddenly a pike was to be at the bottom of that, we can see the bottom at five feet, that'd be very, really intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then even more intense would be Dean hurling this harpoon into the water. I mean, and by a harpoon, this is like a, a trident-style uh, spear with seven points on it, barbed points. I mean, the, you wouldn't want to fall on it, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, they make several different type of spears. I have a the seven-point here. Um, they make a five-point and a three-point. And if you're really good, just a single point. So I like the seven-point. It gives me the greatest chance of actually hitting the fish (laughs) throwing in the water is actually a lot more difficult than you would think Um, everyone's probably heard of the physics of snail's window or light bends in the water so the fish aren't always where they appear to be Um, but it's uh once you kind of figure it out it's a lot of fun and and it's uh it's a little bit of an art to it and and a lot of luck um yeah i kind of 
it's kind of very peaceful too. Sometimes, like right now, we don't have much below here, but on some lakes, you'll see bluegills swim around or walleye and other fish, and it's just kind of like having your own aquarium and staring into a lake. It's uh, it's real nice and calming for the day, and and then you get that big pike come in, and the adrenaline goes pretty hard for about fifteen seconds until you capture it if you're lucky. Wow, cool! And you've had some experience with that uh, in and around the Boundary Waters, Dean. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I've relatively knew the spearing, just been doing it the last couple seasons. But yeah, we've had uh, more around the Bonji waters than in the Bonji waters, but uh, definitely both, uh, especially early ice. Um, never really, so far, I've taken a really big pike, but a lot of nice size eater pike, and that's what I'm always usually after. And and it's just uh, it's just really fun knowing the potential is here for some big pike and. You know, in the Bonji waters on a day like today, you often have just the lake to yourself and just calm and just you and, and the wilderness around you and, you know, what what a be- better way to spend the day. And just to explain sort of some of the prep work that goes into this, I mean, you are cut four auger holes and then you get out this massive saw that looks like some sort of Viking war implement and cut your hole... You have to have an ice house because you got to create sort of that absence of light in order to be able to see. So there's an investment that goes into this, Dean, that you obviously decided it was worth it to you. Yeah, um, it's kind of gotten into the sport slowly. Um, You know what, the ice house I got is also used for ice fishing. Um, But with these uh, newer, insulated, thicker um, portable ice houses, it makes it a lot more reasonable to double as a dark house um i'll you know and slowly i've upgraded my equipment a lot of it started with borrowing friends gear and um you know slowly one decoy became two which now is i think six or seven (laughs) and then uh, i upgraded my spear this year went to a little heavier spear um throws a little better and straighter in the water and then probably the biggest investment was a nice saw but I like to do a lot of sight fishing too for stream trout, lake trout, panfish. And so um, I really enjoy on a really nice clear lake to be able to jig and see the fish come in and take it. So that's a lot of fun as well. So it gets a lot of use, but it's well worth it and saves a lot of drilling. So, Well, I, I feel like being able to cut through the six inches of ice, this is the perfect thing to be out doing today. And... Actually, between the time that we quit talking to Juan to get over here to talk to you, Juan caught himself a very nice northern. Nice pike to take home and uh, His eat. first one on a, on a tip-up, actually. You saw the flag up and... Uh, yeah, he was squatted down eating some food and the tip-up went up behind him and I'm 100 yards away. Juan, your tip-up! <laughs> it was great. It was beautiful and he uh, brought it in perfectly, so kind of made the day for us out here. We'll see if... Dean's able to get anything uh, spearing through the ice today and just gorgeous day to be out here on the edge of the Boundary Waters. Well, it was a great first day out on one of our favorite lakes for the season on the ice. Matthew, you've decided to conclude the day by taking a plunge. Well, it's one of my intentions to spend more time getting accustomed to cold water. I don't like it, but we've got Dean's earlier 
spearing hole here out on the ice still open and I've stripped down to my skivvies and I salute you for it. Okay. Here he goes, ladies okay. and gentlemen of all ages. Oh, Freddie, I'm, just, oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna just like dip my hole all the way into my head. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm gonna get out as soon as I can. Okay? All right. You ready? This is gonna be one incredible performance, ladies and gentlemen. Two. Three. Ah! There he goes. He said he was gonna come back up. Matthew! Uh, uh, I'm out of here. Ah! I just sing when I paddle. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance. I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light. All around. Campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light.